Training, mindset, integrity, incremental improvement. What can you do better today? Start right here with the Pendola Project. Hey now, this is Matt Pendola along with my lovely wife, Erin Pendola. Hello, everybody. We're here for your Monday motivation to talk about tailgate training. So this is the type of training that we might do outdoors, but really anywhere we can get set up in the back of our tailgate, our truck or our car even, just anywhere that you want to work outdoors, you want to get in some extra training. These are some training ideas that we hope will help you out today. There was an article that we do want you to try to link onto and read if you get the chance, and uh, we'll put that in the show notes. Yes, uh, bodybuilding.com did an article with Mr. Chad Belding. Uh, it's called Chad Belding, One Fit Duck Hunter, and it goes into detail about what we're talking about here, the tailgate training and how when Chad and other hunters are on the road for long periods of time, they don't want to lose the fitness that they have worked so hard for. So this is, it was, it's kind of a really great um, introduction and explanation of how and why you would want to you know, incorporate some tailgate training into your lives. Yeah. And especially if you're going to be away from the gym for a while, and maybe you're just not getting back into the gym during this, um, epidemic that we're in. And of course we have, um, a few pieces of equipment that over the years we realized just travel a little bit better, a little easier to, to work with. And, uh, this article that centers around Chad Belding, he of course has been one of our clients now for the last 15 years really or so. So we've gotten to the point where we have some bit more advice about what actually will work out there in the field. And we've kind of tested it out and we've gotten to the point where we feel pretty good about our routine. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today, give you some ideas. So first of all, I would say the easiest thing to travel with are resistance bands. They're super light. You can put them into a bag, and as long as they're not sitting in the sun directly, they're going to hold up pretty well in in the bag in the back of your vehicle or something like that. So this uh, we go with resistancebandtraining.com. There's a guy named Dave Smith that I actually originally learned how to use bands from. He, uh, he sells his RBT quantum bands, they're called, on that website. So we'll, we'll give you that link. So you remember when I went to rubber band school with Dave? Oh, my goodness, yes. Les, our other longtime client friend, dad figure. And also <laughs> Hunter. You guys, and Hunter, yes, that you've heard on this podcast. We've talked about him a lot. But that's one of the favorite things he likes to joke with Matt about. Like, oh, man, when you came back from that rubber band school, I was just, I did not like what you learned. Because it's really, really hard. You look at these bands, and I, I, we find it with newer clients all the time. They look at these bands, and they think, oh, right, okay. I thought I was going to lift some heavy weights. And then you put them through a, a band and work out and they realize pretty quickly how how difficult and challenging they can be i'm sort of paraphrasing here but i think what dave smith used to say is um train your muscles to react not just contract because with the the bands they're actually the more that you pull on them they're actually pulling you back right so in that sense you yes you can focus like you do oftentimes in pulling away or contracting the muscle, but then you have to really control it on the way back. Yeah. I'll say that to my clients too. Like 
a key thing. They probably get sick of me saying it, but I'm like, you have to control the band. You can't let the band control you. And that really is kind of a, you know, a central piece to that because the band can certainly control you if you allow it to. So um, there's a lot of different elements involved there to make it not that lifting weights isn't another fantastic option, but again, if you don't have that available or you just want something different, these resistance bands really are um, a fantastic option. Yeah, and the bands will they'll they'll serve you in a, a couple different ways. One, you can say put the band under your feet, and you can get some what's called that vertical vortex or that that vertical loading. It's a little bit more similar to using weights in the gym, but again, if you were to say lift the band or press the band over your head, then it increases the in, the intensification or increases the resistance as you press overhead, and then you really have to control it down. Another thing I like about the bands is that it tends to go very much with your natural movement patterns a little bit more. So even though the band is linked, unlike a bar, it'll move with you and then you can actually play around with it. So when, for example, you have your hands over your head, now you can try to rip the band apart and pull it apart in between your hands. And that will give you a lot of really great contraction, for example, in your shoulders to really strengthen that position. So a lot of my clients, though, will really prefer to use what we call more of that horizontal vortex, which is the next part you can do. You can link up the band uh, to the back of your vehicle. Now, I actually have units that I got from Dave Smith, which those they will be sold separately they're not a lot uh, they have some plastic pieces on them they're like an anchor so that you will protect your band but honestly with the back of my tailgate there's uh, just that support system for the tailgate itself where I'm able to link that the band around that and that works out really well so I have the anchor being my truck and I'm able to pull in that horizontal vortex so that's where the band anchor would be say in front of you so if i'm doing a row or something and i'm pulling with my arm pulling that band towards my chest that pulling action is in that horizontal vortex where the band is basically parallel to the ground and i really like those type of positions because that your body has to work extra hard to keep your posture and to keep your stability in those movement patterns. So there's a lot of different movements and exercises you can go with that one. And just one final thought on the resistance bands too. Um, they're excellent for partner drills. Like you, we, I mean, I could go into a lot of detail about what partner drills, but um, linking the bands together and then having, you know, one person on either side of the band again, countless, you know, stability exercises, strength exercises, power exercises that you can do if you have a partner that is, let's say, you know, pretty close to your same weight. You don't want somebody that's either much heavier or lighter than you because you'll just get pushed and pulled around. But um, you can get creative and come up with some fun partner drills as well. Yeah. And to be clear, these bands will come in different strengths. So to get um, a good amount of resistance, you can either step back more from the anchor or you can go with a thicker band depending on the exercise and your strength level. But for example, with something like pull-ups, first of all, not everybody can do pull-ups 
and then even if you can you may not have an area where you can where you can find to do pull-ups especially when you're out in the in the great outdoors and yeah sometimes maybe you can find actually i found a tree limb or something like that that i can do some commando pull-up style things with and that's fun too but uh this way you can do rows which is going to incorporate a lot of that same um, muscle and, and obviously working your lats and and getting yourself stronger in those positions, which is great also for your posture if you've been sort of uh, slumped over a little bit more driving for a while to get to where you're going and, and that sort of thing. But I also really like to even reverse that to where you're pressing the band, the anchors behind your body, and you're pressing the band out in front of you. That, by the way, oftentimes is really a friendly movement, I'll call it, because the joint is encouraged to be more centigrated. And even when I have clients that have maybe uh, some sort of impingement in their shoulder, some sort of inflammation or aggravation, they can do those type of movements because the band's actually helping to keep the the shoulder centigrated and it's actually a nice pain-free option to where maybe they can't even do push-ups right now but they can do a standing horizontal band press okay and then also just as a reminder if if uh, you're trying to uh, understand these movements a little better and maybe it's a little bit confusing if we're discussing these movement patterns you're not as familiar with them you can always go on to our website pendolatraining.com and you can email Aaron, Aaron at PendolaTraining.com. And from there, we can always set up some videos for you on our app so you can actually see these. And in the near future, in about uh, two months or so, we're also going to have the book coming out. And that's the Foul Life Fitness ebook. And in that book, we are also going to have uh, exclusively some tailgate training so that people can see those movements. And even if you're not a hunter, I really think that this book is going to work great for people who are just interested in increasing their overall endurance and strength and be able to hike for longer periods of time, uh, have the strength and ability to be able to enjoy the great outdoors, which I think that falls into a lot of our needs. I would just, as you're saying this, I'm thinking of this was probably... I don't know, Mia was a, an infant, so seven years ago or so when we were at our property in Northern California that unfortunately we don't have anymore, but at the time that we did, we would go there quite often, and that's the perfect place to do some outdoor training because that's all you have there. There is no gym. There is no equipment, but um, I used to kind of make fun of Matt because he would bring his bands and his TRX, and he'd hook his TRX up to the tree, and he'd have his bands, and he'd run, and then he'd come and do his um, – his strength workout with the bands and the TRX. And, you know, at the time I wasn't, you know, motivated to do that necessarily having a, having Mia with me, but, um, I would definitely do something like that now. So, I mean, you've been doing this for, for many years. Yeah. You know, just, I think what it was even back then is I was also trying to develop better ideas for, for people like Chad so I could give him better exercises to do when he was gone because again he's gone so much of the year traveling that we can't just rely on his time in the gym to be enough he's got to be able to have these things he can do on the road so um, suspension trainers have come a long ways too so it used to be you get a TRX units were 
you know, they're on the pricier side. I'm not saying they're not worth it, but they're on the pricier side. But there's other suspension options that are much cheaper now, depending on what your budget is and, and just what you want to spend. But of course, uh, that is a very good option. And even using some dog leashes, we've talked about that before. You can you can uh, use the handles from a couple different dog leashes and set up a suspension unit there. So you know whatever it is that you want to be able to put into your, the back of your vehicle that travels well. But I would suggest some kind of suspension system. And again, you know these pieces of equipment. There's an article that I wrote for our newsletter, which if you subscribe to our newsletter, you'll be able to read in full detail about my favorite traveling tools that we're talking about today. Yeah, my favorite or one of my favorite aspects of the suspension units are similar to the resistance bands where you can make it as difficult as you want by just moving your feet. So um, say you are doing a row type of movement. If you want to make it really tough, you just get your back, you know, parallel with the floor and you pull from there. If that's too tough, you just walk your feet up. So you're at a different angle. And, um, so to me, the suspension trainer offers a ton of variety in both movement and, um, in challenge level, depending on the client, you can have, you know, five clients at the same time doing the same movement, but it's all, can be relatable to what they need for their level of fitness. And for the stability side of things, um, I always like to work a lot of lower body stability for me personally in my training. Um, and I find there's a number of lower body movements you can do by hooking one foot into the, the TRX or suspension unit and doing lunges, um, even some single leg uh, burpees you can do from there with your leg suspended. So again, we could go on and on and you know, tell you all these movements, but if you do, you know, want some more clarification or detail, uh, you can, you know, take Matt's suggestion and get in touch with me and we can guide you through that as well. Yeah. And that's, uh, the suspension units work really well if you can find a tree, something like that. And then there are also some movements that you can do at an angle off of your vehicle as well if you can set it up that way but usually i try to find a tree that's the easiest option and the other thing that i would really look at is just finding just uh what's around you for some some resistance for isometrics so isometrics are just basically when you're holding in a fixed position more a lot of times with your body weight so of course you can just bring a mat or find a grassy area there where you can do some body weight movements and you know you sp you spoke about lunges before a lot of times i just like to go into an inline lunge position take a, a backward step and get into that inline lunge position then come down till um i'm about uh, parallel with the ground with my hamstring or my femur and hold that position and then even maybe oscillate. So just going in that sticking point from that sticking point about maybe an inch or two up and then an inch or two down. So holding positions like that are fantastic, can be fantastic. You can also do variations with a push up that way or any sort of plank that way. But a lot of times too, I like to just find maybe just a strong stick, something that's not going to break on you or you could bring a pvc pipe that's what i usually do and the pipes i usually use a taller pipe about a five foot 
PVC pipe, and I have another one that's about half that. And you can use those as uh, just traveling bars, if you will. So those are not heavy. They travel well, especially the one that's about two and a half feet long. And you can also use that with your bands to create some, some more options and resistance for you. But you have something where you can now try to break the bar, which is nice. And um, that creates a lot of extra torque and tension in your muscles. So that's a nice variation as well. Yeah, and the PVC, uh, well, as well as the suspension trainer, but not forgetting to work your grip. So, I mean, I guess the bands too, now that I'm, when I'm running that through my mind, but specifically with, like you're saying, breaking the bar or having that, that, can, that feedback, um, that works, that's such a great grip strengthening tool as well. Yeah, and I will be talking on Thursday a little bit more about what I did at uh, in Utah with some of the junior elites, but we were training some of the athletes that are going to get ready for you know the, the, maybe the next Olympics. Some of them, and hopefully one day others will get to the following Olympics. And so these athletes again need to be able to do some training that's a little bit uh, more optional, and they can they can do it out in the field. And so we also just started doing some fun chaos type of drills. So, for example, I even took one of the shorter PVC pipes and you can put it over uh, your foam roll if you bring a foam roll with you. And now if, if you have the foam roll in the middle, say just between your shoulders and you're going to do like a push up in the in the uh, PVC pipe, you're grabbing on to about shoulder width apart and you're just trying to balance over that foam roll as you're doing push-ups or even as you're doing a, a, a hold position in a push-up position, but then you're extending your hips. So you're, you're letting your heel win the war by drawing your heel up in the air with one foot on the ground and you're both your hands on the PVC pipe while you're trying to balance on top of the foam roll. You can even find maybe a rock or something where you can do that on top of as well if you, or a log, something like that, if you want to get uh, creative there. Yeah, bring to mind my, my good friend, Bill Vickers, if you're listening, but we put up something during the quarantine, um, maybe April-ish on Instagram. He is now 84, uh, just such a fantastic person, and he had texted me one day and just said, so just so you know, I listen to the podcast and I'm doing my own at home, you know, training and he got a bucket, you know, just a Home Depot bucket that he had and put some rocks in there so he could use that for, for a weighted, you know, step ups or squats or anything like that. So I was like, yeah, you can find creativity and inspiration and just your everyday stuff that you have um, lying around. Yeah. And so what? let's talk a little bit more now about uh, hiking. So if you're if you're gonna be out there in the mountains and you're you're hiking around, you you have different uh, terrain that you're covering, and every rock, every route is a different step, really. So that's tremendously beneficial for your proprioception and just uh, continuing to train your uh, your your balance and your feedback and your system that way. But um, also, you might want to get in a little bit more of that type of training to get to prepare for these uh, these longer hikes. When you start to get fatigued, 
uh, odds are if you trip, if your foot finds a root, if you don't pick your toe up high enough, those type of things can tend to happen once you're fatigued. So uh, let's say that you're used to, um, to hiking for an hour or two, but you go out and you do an out and back one day or you even camp overnight and then you're coming back and you have a lot more heavy uh, backpack or and stuff like that that you have to manage. This is a great way to start to build up for that. And you can start doing some hand-supported balancing movements. And that's a point I like to bring up a lot of times. Even with uh, elite athletes, we go back to some basic hand-support movements. So if you're out there with your truck or your vehicle, just use your vehicle to, uh, to support your balance a little bit and have your hand on the, in my case, would be the side of my truck as I'm doing a tippy twist type of movement. So that's where I'm just sort of diving down, hinging at my hips, but keeping my torso and my leg parallel to the ground. And I'm thinking head to heel, strong as steel, all one nice long line. And then I'm going to an internal rotation on my grounded hip and then an external rotation. But actually using the truck for some support is very helpful. And then I may actually go to my fingertips and then I may just remove my hand but have the truck nearby in case I just need to, you know, use some light touches to regain my balance a bit. So that's a good progression I like to use. And also just when I already might be a little bit pre-fatigued. I like to use that hand support. So regardless of the level, I, I like to even start with some hand support and then get uh, establish that uh, that feeling again and and get that feedback and then go from go from there. So Aaron, you were a professional dancer for many years. Do you have any um, suggestions on developing better balance and proprioception? Because I know that you certainly have a lot of experience with that yourself. Yeah, I, I never obviously when I was training in dance for many years and I started when I was nine. So at that time I never gave it much thought. You just kind of did what you did in class and that was it. So once I started strength training, yeah, it did. It kind of naturally took that course for me that I tended to focus more on, um, balance and stability movements, single leg. And I still do that to this day. You know, I'm been training strength training now for 25 years and I still do a lot of unilateral, um, single leg, work. And so that in itself will incorporate, you know, you have to learn how to, how to balance and stabilize on a single leg and build up, you know, a lot of strength through the, through the feet, up the ankles, all, you know, all the way up that chain, um, with the single leg movements. But there are times where I still use some assistance, you know, maybe it's a day that you're just not feeling as balanced and, um, maybe you're tired, maybe some, whatever, something's a little off. It's always okay. I, I always tell my clients that to like reassure them, like you're not, you know, this isn't a, a deficit or something. It's not like you're doing anything wrong. It's just sometimes we need a little assistance, but I guess the main point is consistently for me, um, still training that balance and stability. And as we do get older and same, you know, my parents are of that age and they do hike a lot. And that's a lot of it for them is like, gosh, I just don't want to fall. I don't want to hurt myself. So having that confidence that you've been, you know, working on your balance and your, and your stability, um, will just allow you to feel more comfortable when you're out living your, your everyday lives. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. I think this is a good time too to talk about timing. So Let's uh, let's bring up 
an example of going out for that long hike. And when you go up, you're maybe have a long vertical climb. You're at that beautiful lake. You, you have a picnic or whatever you're doing up there. And then you got to make it all the way back down again to where you're actually taking more abuse going back down. And, and, and I say that, and hopefully we are uh, training properly to, to get that development so we can, uh, we can sustain that. But when you're on your way down, think about that as being a lot more single leg pounding. So one thing you can do is make sure that your revolutions are higher. So when you're stepping down, you're not gulping as much ground. And uh, I literally think step down, step down. That's actually a cue I learned from Bobby McGee. Whenever you're running downhills, just thinking about step down, step down. But I think the same thing coming down steep hills. And, of course, just trying to uh, to maintain good positioning. But you're kind of going a little bit more with the grade. So high, higher steps. But you're still going to take a certain amount of breakdown going down those hills, especially in your quads. So the way I would do it is just a couple sets, single leg, before you start a hike like that, just to get everything, you know, responding. And uh, that's that's kind of what I think of is you're just kind of uh, getting that facilitation going through your nervous system. And, and so you could throw in just a couple sets of single leg work. You don't want to overdo it to where you're fried out. So I keep the sets a little bit shorter there. And I may say do two sets of about 30 seconds per leg, something like that. But when I get back, that's when I'm actually going to probably switch to a little bit more bilateral work. So using both legs at the same time and just kind of work on some range of motion. So like a primal squat or something, something there. And again, then I might work on just some basic balancing movements on the single leg, but again, with hand support and, and just using enough support so I can get through the range motion through my hip or my ankle, um, and being able to stabilize that without requiring too much of a demand, especially if I'm really tired. So I almost think of that as being another form of strength stretching at the end, as opposed to turning it into a resistance type of training session and everything has its time and place, but that's, that's kind of how I would do it there. So we get a lot of questions about how do you know how many reps, how do you know how much time you're supposed to spend doing these things? Um, I think that's a pretty common area of, of questioning we get. Yeah. So the answer here. It's a little bit more complicated than just giving just a number. So I can't just give a number. And so that might be a little bit frustrating sometimes, but it's not as hard as it sounds. If you, for example, I was giving an athlete a test the other day on just um, frontal plane leg lifts. So you're in a side bridge, you're holding that side bridge, and then you have to lift your leg in the air. And she could do that about... uh, seven or eight times. And so I gave her, uh, three to five reps per leg. So we always want to go kind of sub maximal, but enough that you're getting somewhere with it. And then I told her, start off with a couple sets of five reps per leg. 
and then retest yourself after a few weeks and see if you can get now to 10 reps per leg, then you would bump it up to doing, say, six to eight reps per leg. And, uh, you know, again, a little bit goes a long way. So one or two sets is, is great, but more frequency. Doing something like that frequently and, and even daily is much, much better, especially when it comes to lighter resistance or body weight type of training methods. You know, we're not talking about doing uh, max squats or, or things like this. So when I have athletes that have one side that's much stronger than the other, the trick there to me is to see what are your what's your max rep. So I'll test them and see. And let's say on their right side, they're able to get 20 reps of something. Okay. It doesn't really matter what it is. Um, but then on the other side, uh, they're only getting maybe 14 reps. Okay. So what I'll do is I want to get them to 20 reps on both sides. So what we'll do is with the more challenged side, we'll get 10 reps in on that side. Now remember 14 is their max. Then they'll do their other side that's not as challenged or stronger, however you want to think of that, and they they can get their 20 reps, and then they go back to their challenge side and they get 10 more reps. So you see we've gotten in three sets, but we went 10, 20, 10, so the total was 20 for each side. And over time, that really, I think, helps a lot in, um, in, in trying to equal out that strength and it'll never be completely equal. Most likely I, I don't, I can't even recall any athletes that have exactly the same strength on both sides, but I like it to get within 10%. So again, these are oftentimes really done with movements that are auxiliary type of movements, uh, that you can do with your body weight or with bands. Um, so these are movements you can do anywhere. And in fact, these are usually the type of movements I assign as daily protocol where your muscles are not going to get so broken down. You can't do it every day. We encourage you to do it every day. So this isn't even things that you need really, you know, a lot of weight for just need enough resistance, which oftentimes just finding the right exercise with your body weight or bands to provide just that a little bit of extra resistance on the conditioning end. This is another one that we worked quite a bit with Chad building on. And he said he came from Camp Wheeze when he was a kid, you know, so he had a lot of issues with his, his breathing. So we wanted to be able to, uh, to teach him better breathing patterns. Now that we also have in a recent newsletter, if you sign up for our newsletter, you'll be able to see all of the previous newsletters we've released each month. And you can check into that, or you can listen to our past podcast on better breathing as well. But with those type of things uh, being taken care of or being addressed, the next thing I would really look at in progressive overload, people would say, how, how far should I go or how fast should I walk, right? And again, this is not something that we can determine just a flat answer, everybody, or what should my heart rate be, right? So what I, what I look at a little bit more is just what is your current set point? So I would test it. Now, if you're looking at going for shorter distances, but faster, I would try to power walk for 15 minutes fast as you can, but make it relative. So if you are, 
just starting out, usually we just go with something flat, okay? And eventually with some, somebody like Chad Belding, I had him power walking up the side of a mountain to see where he could get to or less. And so then you want to use the same course every time, though, so you can test yourself and see if you're either covering the same amount of distance and less time, okay, or the same amount of time, um, but more distance. So uh, however you want to, uh, to use that marker. And then the other test that I tend to give, again, for somebody like Chad, would be if you're going to be out there hiking for quite a bit of time. And especially if you're doing more big game type of uh, hunting like Lested, or again, if you are just somebody who wants to hike for a few hours or, or more, then I would look at doing at least 40 minutes to 60 minutes of a steady state power walk. And you're covering that ground or that time that we talked about before. So again, in 40 to 60 minutes, you keep the same exact course and you can look at whether or not you are getting through that course a little bit quicker or you can try to use the same time and see if you can cover more different distance but again it should be the same course and condition so it's comparable and so those become your set points and then from there i would just simply fragment the training so if you're looking at the average person comfortably walks 19 minutes a mile, okay? And that's just on, you know, normal conditions. So what I would look at is, well, what, what pace do you end up hitting? And do you think that that was very challenging for you? Because it should be pretty challenging in your test. And then just kind of go sub-maximal from there. But that's where I like to fragment sets quite a bit. So what that would mean is, let's say that you're walking for an hour at an average of 15 minutes per mile. And let's say that that's uh, on trails and terrain that's, that's uh, moderately challenging, but, uh, but not, um, not going you know, up uh, Mount Kilimanjaro or something, right? So that's 15 minutes a mile. So what you might want to do is give it a good power hike for 10 minutes, even going, say, slightly faster than the pace you're used to. So you get, you get adjusted to that faster pace. But then for the next two, three, four, even five minutes, but usually I'll say two to three minutes, you're going to end up doing just some dynamic movements, some protocol. So you can do some out there outside. You can do some knuckle draggers. You can do some sky reaches. You can just do some, some decent uh, strength stretching. You can even grab onto the side of a, a tree and work on some balance with some hand support, you know, depending on where you're at. But, um, or you can just do something like walking backwards, of course, make sure you're in a safe place to do that, right? Um, and at the very least, what you're going to do is give your heart rate some time to come back down so you can just walk slower, but really focus on bringing, bringing that control back into your breathing and really getting that recovery. And then you do it again for, let's say, um, six sets. So that would give you 90 minutes total, but 60 minutes where you're going at that power walking pace that's faster than what you used to. Maybe you're walking at now a 
uh, 13 or 14 minute pace when you're used to 15 minutes. And so that will get you more time on your feet, 90 minutes instead of 60, but it will also start to get you used to uh, walking a little bit or hiking a little bit faster. So that's a good way to progress your conditioning as well. And, uh, and again, just monitoring it, you can look at things like heart rate there too, and see if your heart rate average is better than it was six weeks ago. And so you can compare and compare you to you, as long as again, you're using the, uh, the same type of course. And, um, I even prefer just doing the same course for my testing to make sure that the variables are the same, even looking at the same time of day, so the same temperature, et cetera. And what you want to do is essentially just add on a bit at a time to where you know your body is responding well. But if you notice that your testing starts going in reverse, you might be overdoing, it might be overtraining. And uh, I will finally just conclude with frequency. So the reason why you hear me talk a lot of times about doing sub-maximal efforts is so that you can do it daily. So the more we frequently we can do something, the the better. And yes, sometimes it is good to overload a bit more with a very much planned recovery in between. So um, in the gym here, if we have our athletes working really hard on Monday, sure, they're going to still train on Tuesday, Wednesday, but their recovery-focused training days. And then Thursday might be another harder stress on their body. But we, we tend to space out those stresses that way. So this is all about just finding your set points, finding a good way to give yourself a progression, and just sticking to what's working for you and you need to take some decent notes there so you can actually see the numbers and see what's working for you and and what may not be working as well for you and and the answer simply enough here is that you want to do these things we're talking about today uh, more frequently daily especially the tailgate training um, that I really think that needs to be done as a habit. And if I have clients that seem to be struggling more with getting control of their breathing, of their balance, um, of their base level fitness, it's usually because they're doing it for a day or two and then taking several days off. Um, believe it or not, with that type of training, I think daily and I mean seven days a week, really does serve you the best as long as you're not overdoing any one day. And of course, six out of seven days, sometimes a full recovery day is just good to keep you fresh in your mind. And so you can, I give myself Sundays off at this point. In the beginning, it was more daily, but um, I try to just stick with that. And um, certainly the minimum, bare minimum, I would say would be four days a week, but I prefer six or seven for daily movement protocol like we're discussing here. Okay, so let's just wrap these thoughts up though. I mentioned before that you're doing some submaximal reps and that can be done daily. As far as your recovery goes, if you are going out and just walking every day at an easy pace, but then planning maybe a couple days a week where you're pushing the envelope a little bit more 
and doing those 10 minute sets where you're walking at a faster or power walking at a faster pace, especially if you're talking uphills and downhills, just space that out a little bit more. But remember the in-between days recover hard, which means that you should still be moving. Just make it uh, easier terrain, softer. If you could go to a park where there's nice, uh, just soft grass to walk on and um, give your body, your joints, uh, the ability to recover between those days as well as your uh, cardiovascular system. So don't stress yourself. If you feel like every single day is a stress, that's not going to be great for you long term. So keep, you know, keep the, uh, the effort level moderate or easy. And uh, I would mainly say in general what I try to think of is it's either I'm going pretty darn easy because I'm actually using my breathing to control that effort. So say breathing out for five steps, breathing in for four steps when I'm walking in the park. And then on the harder effort days, I'm switching to actually breathing in for three steps, breathing out for two. I reverse the patterns there, but I'm going obviously faster. Those type of efforts, the three, two are not every time. They're probably two days a week, something like that. Um, and then of course, maybe a little bit of the faster interval stuff there, but I like to sprinkle that stuff in not too long per effort. So something like some strides, something that takes about, uh, 10 to 20 seconds and with plenty of recovery in between, you can even power walk up a hill and just really walk down nice and easy control. your breathing back down, recover completely power walk back up and build between you know 20 seconds 30 seconds is kind of my sweet spot my favorite time to go for and um you know uh, up to maybe a minute depending on your goals but um the high intensity work should be uh sprinkled in sparingly into into your plan well thank you so much for listening hope you got some useful information out of this episode and again all of the links that we mentioned will be in the show notes so for the bodybuilding.com article and the resistance bands that we spoke about we'll put a link for that as well um, and you can always find us www.pendolatraining.com email me directly Aaron at pendolatraining.com and as always we appreciate any feedback or reviews you want to leave us for this podcast and you can listen to chad belding on this life ain't for everybody that's his podcast and i've been a guest there before we've had him on this podcast as well so check that show out too if you want to learn more about chad's lifestyle and uh, we'll talk to you next time